Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 146 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. There's a lot to talk about, so let's dive straight into the review part of the show. It's going to be a little bit of a rant from me straight away. What a positive way to start things, not... Um, This card happened at the Bolton Whites Hotel in Lancashire, United Kingdom. Now, my problem with this card here, it was an MTK, um, you know, MTK show. And the last event in terms of boxing events that I went to was actually an MTK show at York Hall. I like MTK. I like what they're doing. But big, big, big problem with this card here. Now, in my opinion... On the whole entire bill that they announced, there were three big names. Um, those names were Jazza Dickens, there was David Price, who was supposed to be headlining the show, and then there was Jimmy Kelly, the guy that lost to um, to Liam Smith. Now, those guys, I believe, are probably the three biggest names on the bill. Now, Jimmy Kelly's fight got pulled off the bill. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Okay, fair enough. Things happen. David Price was supposed to be headlining this show. He was the big attraction. Everybody likes David Price. You know, he's a nice guy. Everyone wants him to do well and all the rest of it. He was headlining the show. But he pulled out on the day of the show. Now, that is shocking. He pulled out with a back injury. They hadn't even secured an opponent for him the day before the fight was set to take place and imagine that imagine you're going to watch a boxing show and the main event okay it's david price that's cool but his opponent's not even been announced like the main event there's only one fighter that's just terrible imagine going to like an eddie hearn show and let's just say um i don't know dillian white's topping the bill against tba to be announced to be confirmed and it's the day before the fight, and you don't know, but but you're going because you 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 know you're hoping it's going to be a good fight. And then Dillian White pulls out on the day of the fight. That is shocking. So obviously David Price didn't injure himself on that day. Of course he didn't. He wasn't training on fight day. He probably wasn't training on fight week. Most fighters stop you know stop um, sparring and all the major stuff the week before. Um, you know, at the end of that week, so that fight week itself, they're not really doing anything. They're just doing a, you know, a couple little gym things on their own, one-to-one kind of stuff. Um, you know, up in their conditioning at the last minute. It's not really, uh, you know, f- real grueling physical stuff. So David Price pulls out on the day of the fight. Obviously, at this point, people have booked hotels. You know, you can't just cancel on the day. So people would have would have, you know, made lots and lots of arrangements to go to this show, and then David Price didn't even fight on it. 
So that was terrible, absolutely terrible. I didn't see anything about refunds either, which I hope that they were issuing that to people that seek to refund because it was awful, awful. And then the only big name on the card, Jazza Dickens, I think he was originally set to defend the British title um, or set to fight for the British title or whatever. And um, he ended up taking on a guy called Pablo Navarez, who actually had a losing record. Nine wins, ten losses, and seven draws. And Jazza Dickens gets in there and knocks him out in the very first round. So to me, not very impressive by MTK there, unfortunately. Um, the one other name on the bill, I guess, you know, worth mentioning is Ben Sheedy, who was 10-0 and with one draw. He actually lost over points over 10 rounds against Matthew Wigglesworth, who actually was undefeated himself, 5-0 and with two draws. Ben Sheedy was down twice in the eighth round. It was for the vacant central area middleweight title. But yeah, Jazza Dickens, like I say, he picks up win number 24. He's got three losses, a, a KO in the very first round against Pablo Navarez. Not very pleased with that, Bill, but that's it. I'm going to leave it there. Rant over. Moving over now, though, to the Rainton Meadows Arena in Tynham Ware, United Kingdom. This is the bill that um, had another heavyweight pullout, to be honest, but nobody complained. Dave Allen was supposed to be fighting on this bill, but, of course, he went for the bigger fight the day after. Um, the one fight to mention on this bill, though, Thomas Patrick Ward, he extended his winning record to 24-0. and He also became the... The new IBF European Super Bantamweight champion. The belt was vacant before the bout and he beat unanimously over 10 rounds Alvaro Rodriguez who now has a record of 8-2 and two with one draw. That's it for that one. Moving over now to the big one at the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. A couple fights to mention on the undercard to say the least. Um, they streamed some of this card on Facebook I as I didn't tune into that did you happen to see any of that at all no I didn't unfortunately no problem no problem um, Frank Buglioni picked up win number 22 he's got three losses and one draw he made his opponent retire on his store after six rounds his opponent was called Emmanuel Fazou who actually had I think about two or three days notice his record now 10 and 8 with two draws also on the bill Anthony Fowler moved to 7 and 0 oh. it was a TKO in the sixth round against the previously undefeated Craig O'Brien who was 8 and 0 oh, now 8 and 1 it was a humongous left hook from Anthony Fowler just 8 seconds into that sixth round. Good finish for him. It was a good fight while it lasted, actually. He's getting better and better all the time. Anthony Fowler, now 7-0, and like I say. Um, let's also mention... Let's let's talk about Conor Ben now. Um, he fought for the vacant WBA Continental Welterweight title. It was quite amazing, actually, because you know, I just don't understand what he's done or what his opponent, Cedric Paynaud, had done um, to qualify themselves or to at least put themselves even anywhere near being worthy enough to fight for this belt here. Um, you know, the WBA, quite surprising there. But yeah, um, Conor Ben moved to 13-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Cedric Paynaud, who now has a record of 6-6 six and six with three draws. Now this fight here, what surprised me was Paynaud actually came out with purpose in the first round. Um, you know, he came to make his mark pretty early. And surprisingly, he fought in Southport, I think, the whole fight. I mean, um, in that first round, there were a couple of shaky moments for Conor Ben. Um, 
Payne now had landed a really big overhand right. I felt that Payne now had certainly grabbed the first round. In the second round, Payne now was actually given a count. Uh, I actually thought he, you know, he didn't really get legitimately knocked down. It looked like a slip quite clearly to me. But again, um, you know, the, the referee didn't give him, didn't do Payne out any favours. A 10-8 round there to Ben. Um, even though I think Paynaud actually did enough to win that round, despite the knockdown, but you know how it is. In the third round, it was a good round, to be honest. Um, probably Ben just about edged it. It was very, very competitive, though. Um, Ben actually had to take a few good shots there as well in that third round, I should mention. In the fourth round, Paynaud slowed down, the tempo dropped. Ben was starting to pick his shots better at that point. It was still a very competitive round, but I'd still say I'd probably edge it to Ben. Um... The next few rounds were pretty quiet rounds, um, in my opinion, really. Um, ben was probably just edging them. He, you know, it was still quite competitive. And in the seventh round, Paynow took a knee after walking right into a big right hand to the body. It was right down the middle, right on the belly button, right on the button. And um, in the eighth round, both men were pretty tired at that point. A clear Ben round once again, though. And in the ninth round, Paynow took a knee once again. He's a tough man, Paynard, but he just wasn't fit enough. And once he ran out of that steam, um, once he ran out of that kind of quick start that he tried to put out kind of thing, once he ran out of of steam, really, um, you know, he, he had little chance. He had a very little chance from there of winning the fight. I felt that Conor Ben paced himself fairly well, and he certainly finished the much stronger of the two. And like I say, it's the first time he's gone 10 rounds, I believe, Conor Ben. So he paced himself very well, I felt. So credit to him. Once again, he's improving all the time. Um, do you want to say any words on that Conor Ben fight there, Ayaz? I know we didn't do the predictions on it, but it was supposed to be a good fight on paper. It was supposed to be very competitive. It was, to be honest. And obviously, it wasn't the barn burner of the first fight, but Ben dominantly won. I mean, it's a very good fight. I mean, obviously, like the last, the first fight before is very controversial. But I mean, this one obviously offered Conor Ben one, but well done to Conor Ben. I'd like to see who he wants to fight next. Absolutely, absolutely. A few big fights down the road for him. Um, let's talk about the heavyweight clash now. Nick Webb, twelve and zero, undefeated with ten knockouts. Dave Allen, thirteen and four, with two draws, coming off a knockout defeat to Tony Yoka, just a matter of weeks back. Um, Wow, a, a brilliant win here. I mean, let's talk about the fight itself. The first two rounds, in my opinion, Dave Allen didn't really throw anything at all. And he wasn't doing a great job of covering up. He was taking a lot of shots. His face was reddening up. In the third round, Dave Allen came back with some good shots of his own, though. In the fourth round, Webb clearly slowed down and he was getting tired himself. And he took a few big shots from Allen. And then... Allen lands a left hook to the body of Webb, followed by a big overhand right. And, you know, Dave Allen, he just he just dipped just before he threw it. He disguised it well, and Webb fell straight onto the ropes. It was quite dangerous, actually, because um, the way he fell, like his neck, his head was out of the ring, and his neck was, was just, like, resting on the ropes. And his corner man actually ran around the ring and pulled the uh, the rope off of Webb's neck. And, you know, despite trying to get up twice, he just could not 
he just could not get up and beat the count to be honest it's a massive massive win for Dave Allen we'll be speaking to him later on in the show and he you know he did actually say that this would probably be his last fight and he's now in a position to fight um, I believe in a final eliminator for the British title that is if Huey Fury doesn't vacate which he's expected to do so it's the biggest win of his career by a country mile Dave Allen and where does Nick Webb go from here that's the big question because losing to Dave Allen unfortunately doesn't do you much good I mean there's not many ways to turn at the moment for Nick Webb um, I think it's probably too early to to just become an opponent and start fighting people like Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce and people like that but it's a very tough tough place he's found himself in um, like I say we'll be speaking to Dave Allen later on in the show moving up the bill once again Joshua Boazzi took on a very last minute um, opponent here called Andrej Pokomiko who was 17 and 14 with one draw. I think I've seen him before once or twice. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Josh Boatsy successfully moved to 7-0, and and he also became the new WBA International Light Heavyweight Champion. So uh, that belt was vacant, and now Josh Boatsy wins it. A KO in the very first round. He said himself in the post-fight interview he didn't learn a single thing in there. It was too quick. It all ended too quickly. Um, Katie Taylor moved to 10-0. and 0. She successfully defended her IBF and WBA World Female Lightweight titles against Kimberly Connor, who had a record of 13-3 and 3 with two draws. Of course, add the loss to that, 13-4 and 4 with two draws. A TKO in the third round. Katie Taylor looked pretty good. She was just too good. Um, Kimberly Connor was just overmatched, literally, from the first second of the fight. Um, Derek Chisora now I has 28 and 8 took on Carlos Takam 35 and 4 with one draw the one outcome I could not see happening was Derek Chisora to knock Takam out boy oh boy we all went with Takam on points we got it so 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 wrong it was for the vacant WBA international heavyweight title Takam down twice in the 8th round talk to me I has absolutely shocking well what a shocker that was I mean I remember when this fight happened, I was going to go, yes, um, I'm, I'm going to go with Takam to win on points. And I remember that, I remember saying that. Obviously, we saw Takam fight against Joshua. He didn't give up. Obviously, he got stopped due to the bad cut. And he was losing on points very badly. But my God, Derek Chisora, of all people, Derek Chisora just knock him out. I thought, um, obviously, Chisora's boxing very, very good. And he got to Aim and just knocked him out. Like, literally, first, dropped him first time, then dropped him again in the second. And then, obviously, the, he got stopped. But well done to well done to Chuzura. Apparently, Eddie Hearn's trying to make a fight between himself versus Deontay Wilder. But obviously, apparently, the Wild, Wilder fight Wilder might be fighting Tyson Fury. So where does where does Derek Chuzura goes from here? Does he fight Dillian White next? This is the thing. Like, I don't want to go off topic too much, but I think that Eddie Hearn, his dream, absolute dream, and this is this is not opinion. This is fact. Actually, he would love to make forget about Joshua Wilder. He would love to make Dillian White against, uh, sorry, not Anthony Joshua, Dillian White against Deontay Wilder. He would prefer to make that fight. That's why he's made an increased offer now to Dillian White. Um, sorry, to Deontay Wilder. I'm getting confused now. But yeah, he really, really, really wants in a dream world, Eddie Hearn wants Dillian White to fight Deontay Wilder and beat him and take his title and then make Dillian White versus Joshua 2 for all the world titles. Now, the thing with that is, it's a brilliant thing for, um, for Dillian White because financially, if he were to beat Wilder 
and he'd get very well paid for that fight, by the way. But if he were to beat him, then that just sets up an absolute mega fight. Whether you like the fight or not, we'd have to buy into it. We really would. So that's what Eddie Hearn wants to do. And it's a very risky fight, but it's for a world title. Now, there are two other guys that he's fought recently, Dillian White, that could have really completely... Um, put a spanner in the works to these plans and they could have I mean they were real 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 life banana skins and those two fights were a Derek Chisora fight which was razor razor tight some people think Chisora did enough to win that night and also the fight against Parker that we're going to talk about in a moment but Dillian White is crazy enough or stupid enough to have these absolute 50-50 fights and he's risking everything every single time he fights someone like that. So credit to him for fighting Chisora. Credit to him for fighting Joseph Parker. And um, he's got to stop risking it because I think his luck, mate, well, not luck because he's, he's improved a lot. But I think that his streak, his winning streak may end up running out if he keeps on having these 50-50 fights. Um, he certainly doesn't want to lose before he gets to that to that lottery ticket against Deontay Wilder. And like I say, if he were to win that, then oh boy, he'd be he'd be making a lot of millions when he takes on Joshua at Wembley Stadium for everything. That would be unbelievable. But that's what Eddie Hearn wants. Like I said, that's why he's increased the offer to Deontay Wilder's team for the Dillian White fight, not the Joshua fight. Um. Yeah, so, so so getting onto the fight itself, like I say, I didn't want to go off topic too much. Sorry if I did. Um, I felt the first round, Takam came out and he just pinned Chisora on the ropes and he overpowered him and absolutely battered him. That's the only thing I could say. And after that first round, I actually thought, this is not going the distance. This may not even go three or four rounds. Chisora was was. He just couldn't do a thing with him. And I actually scored the first round a 10-8 round. Despite there being no knockdowns or no point deductions, it was so one-sided. Chisura was getting battered on the ropes. And to be honest, I think there was a case... I don't know. If there was about 30 more seconds in the round, there was there was probably a case of, of the towel being thrown in. It was just looking terrible. It was an awful start for Chisura. Um, he didn't even want to sit down on his store at that, at that point. Um, he looked absolutely exhausted as well, and that was the end of the first round. And in the second round, Chisora warmed into it a bit. Takam slowed down a little bit. You can't blame him. He put it all into that first round. And Takam was was just sort of landing the more heavier-looking shots, and that really happened throughout the fight. Um, Takam is as strong as an ox. He really is. And the pair of these guys, of course, we all knew they had very similar styles. It made for a good fight, actually. It could have been an absolute stinker, but it was a great fight. Um, the pace slowed in the middle rounds, and Chisora kind of came back into the fight. And in the sixth round, Takam once again pinned Chisora on the ropes, and the referee was having a look. And he took a lot of clean shots, and I thought he was about to get stopped. But then he suddenly found a shot himself and came back with a good attack. Now, he got through that sixth round in the seventh round I actually gave it to Chisora despite him being pinned on the ropes for basically all the round he was boxing off the ropes very well and he was countering cleverly and in the eighth round wow out of nowhere Del Boy landed a big overhand right to Takam's temple down went Takam when he got back up he walked right into a right hand from Del Boy it was the first punch that Del Boy threw and Takam was down again nobody saw this coming I as he's you know he's knocked out Takam legitimately unlike Anthony Joshua did 
And guess what? I mean, he's done it quicker than Joshua. He's done it quicker than Povetkin. And he's a man who, after that loss in Monte Carlo for the European title against Caballel, we were saying he should probably retire, to be honest. And he's he's just absolutely rocked the heavyweight division. And Carl Frotch said something I believe in 100% on the commentary. I think he hit the nail on the head completely. He said that when Derek Chisora's up for it, when he's mentally on it, then he's a real hard, hard night's work for anybody. But when he's not at the races, he's completely a different fighter. And I agree with that. I mean, I'm taking out of context what he said, but it was something along those lines. When he's on his job, he is brilliant, Derek Chisora. And I tell you what, he's turned into a kind of guy that, um, you know, like I say, when his head's on the job, he's in brilliant fights. He doesn't just win. There's all sorts of drama attached to it. And let's have it right. I mean, he said after the fight, oh, it's definitely going to be fight of the year, this. I'm not sure about that. It wasn't the Hagler-Hearns type back and forth. He was getting battered. And he came back from an absolute slaughtering. And Takam had nothing. Takam was exhausted. And Del Boy is just so tough. I mean, this was testament to how tough he is. He took such a punishment over those rounds. So many punishments. Multiple punishments. And he came back and he just... He just had it. I mean, he he just had it. He didn't lose it mentally. He stayed in that fight, and, you know, he came on strong, and it was just unbelievable. So I'm very happy for Del Boy, and he sets up a big fight down the line for himself. Like you say there, the Dillian White rematch is something that everybody wants to see. Let's get on to Dillian White now. He moved to 24-1. and It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Joseph Parker, who's now 24-2. and Um... It was for the WBC Silver Heavyweight title, which was Dillian White's title, and it was also for the vacant WBO International Heavyweight title, which now belongs to Dillian White. Parker was down in rounds 2 and 9, and Dillian White was down in the final round in round 12, Iaz. Talk to me about that fight. Unbelievable. Lumps, bumps, frills, and spills. Oh, what a fight it was. I'm going to give fair place to Dillian White. Well done for winning the fight, first of all. But what a fight it was. Um, Joseph Parker, the start, I mean, from the first round to the 12th round, they were just going at each other. And the second round, Joseph Parker got dropped. But from me, that was not that should not be counted as a knockdown. That was a clash of heads. And obviously, Joseph Parker got dropped. And then the fight was going... It was a very, very good fight. Like obviously, jo- Joseph Parker was using his speed. But after this, um, I mean, Dillian White was jabbing him, hitting him with the hooks. Um, obviously, Dillian, Joseph Parker from round, after, from round 6 to 11... 10 did nothing, literally. I didn't give him a single round, from my opinion, because Dillian White was just going, aye, 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 and Joseph Parker, it looks like he ran out of gas. And they come to 11th round, Joseph Parker was going for it again, and on the 12th round, you see um, Dillian White, um, you see Joseph Parker dropping Dillian White. And then, obviously, uh, it came to a point, this is, but I've got to say, well done for Dillian White winning this fight. Now, from my opinion, I think this guy needs a world title shot. Give him a world title shot. Give him Wilder. If Joshua does not fight Wilder in April, then I think, from my opinion, I think Dillian White is going to fight Joshua in, uh, at Wembley in April. Yeah, it'd be a shame if, if Dillian White doesn't have a world title, if he rematches Joshua. You know, I, I just, I just, I'm not really, you know, so excited to see that fight. I think that Joshua wasn't as good as what he was. He got kind of drawn into a bit of a slugfest and he took one good shot and it kind of buckled Joshua's legs, but that was really the only shaky moment for me. 
but it is what it is. Talking about this fight here, I think that the start you know, at the start of the fight, Parker was the much more accurate. He was showing his quickness, his elusiveness. And we saw a couple of wild misses from Dillian White. It was a clear Parker round in the first round, 10-9. In the second round, Parker was beating White up, actually. And he was cruising to a clear 10-9. But, you know, like you said, Ayaz, Parker kind of got caught off balance. I wasn't sure if it was a head clash or it was a bit weird. Um, I think the arms come together a little bit and his leg was caught under him. And he kind of walked into, I don't know what it was. It looked like a body shot or a or a head, I don't know, they came together certainly, and he ended up on the floor, I don't think he was hurt in the slightest, but it ended up being called a knockdown, and I didn't agree with that either, Ayaz, and it ended up being the first time in Joseph Parker's career that he'd been knocked down, and it was a great shame at that point. Um, I just want to put a little um, asterisk attached to that, and we will come back to that. Um the knockdown and the fact it was a 10-8 round, obviously. Very, very controversial. Um, Now, in the third round, it was a round of momentum switches, I felt. It was a close competitive round, but I'd probably edge it to Joseph Parker. I felt that in the fourth round, once again, it was probably a round of two halves. I mean, White started well, Parker finished well. It was a very close um, a very close round there. In the fifth round, I felt that Parker probably edged it, but it was you know it was very close. I expected White to probably get it on the cards, but the sixth round was was a clear Dillian White round for me. It was competitive, but the cleaner work was definitely from White. He was going to the body really well at that point as well. In the seventh round, even though I had it close, it felt like the fight was slipping away from Parker at that point, probably on the scorecards also. Um, Dillian was leaning all over Joseph, which was shocking at times. Real dirty tactics from White, but Parker was starting to tire, and you know he was being made to fight at some points of that, he was actually being made to work when he didn't want to work, and in the 8th round, I actually thought it was a close round, um, White at that point started to slow down himself, Parker was being hit by lots of jabs though, and he was taking the shots the reflexes weren't as crisp as they were earlier, he was walking into a lot of shots, his defence was really letting him down, in the ninth round Parker got dropped with a left hook, it didn't travel far, but boy, oh boy, did it have some power in it. It put Parker down, but he got back up pretty quickly and responded well, actually. But that was a genuine, genuine, legitimate knockdown. Um, to be honest, to to Joseph Parker's credit, he didn't seem all that hurt. But, yeah, it was a big statement made by White to drop Parker at least once legitimately compared to the fact that Joshua couldn't really move him at all. And Parker's tiredness was most to blame at this point in the fight as it was, you know, as, as the we were approaching the kind of latter stage. His tiredness was was a real bad thing, and he was walking into jabs, and like I say, his hands were way too low. They weren't coming up to defend himself, and in the 10th round, all of a sudden, Parker seemed to get the spring back in his step. It was like a, a little bit of a second wind. Um, he was finally using his head movement again that he'd neglected throughout the mid-rounds, and he won that round fairly clearly for me. Parker definitely took the 11th round as well. I felt that White was really tired, and he was being pushed back as well for probably the first time in the fight. He was missing wildly. Parker actually seemed to rock him at one point in that 11th round. Um, Parker... In the last round, obviously, we know what happened. You know, Dillian White, even when he came out from his corner, he looked absolutely exhausted. Walking out of his corner, he just had a one-minute rest, and he looked absolutely exhausted before the first bell went for the 12th round. 
Um, so yeah, Joseph just piled it on him, and he ended up dropping him. And White was doing everything he could to hold on. He was, he, you know, he was even being leaned on by Parker, and he was enjoying being leaned on just to buy some valuable seconds without getting punched. He was in so much trouble. Ten more seconds in the fight, and he was getting knocked out for sure. He was out on his feet for most of the round. And like I say, Joseph Parker will be absolutely kicking himself. I actually had it a draw. That was my scorecard. I think that the judges had it way too wide. But let me tell you about um, about the judges' scorecards. Now, these are the judges' scorecards. One judge had it 113-112. Now, in the second round, when Joseph Parker got, in inverted commas, dropped, um, that obviously was a 10-8 round to Dillian White. But Joseph Parker was winning that round very clearly until that that happened. So one judge had it 113 to 112 in favor of White. So let's take away that 10-8 round and let's give it a 10-9 round in favor of Parker. So we've got a takeaway. Obviously, 10 points to Dillian White was what it was originally. It would be 9. So let's take one point away there. So that makes it 112-112, a draw. But obviously, Joseph Parker would have won that round um, at 10-9, so add two points back on. So that would have been 114-113 in favour of Parker with that judge there. The second judge, he had it 115-110, there's nothing you can do about that, whether the knockdown counted or even if Joseph Parker won that round, this judge would have still given the fight to Dillian White. So that's one for White, one for Parker. And then the final scorecard, 114-111 in favour of Dillian White, of course. So if we take away one point from the 14... Uh, for the 114, that makes it 113, and then add the two points to make it a 10-9 round in favour of Joseph Parker, rather than a 10-8 round in favour of Dillian White, and that would be 113-113. So, basically, what I'm saying, hope I haven't made it so confusing, I probably have, um, what I'm basically saying is that if that knockdown was not called in the second round, and it ended up being a 10-9 round to Parker, which in my eyes it clearly, clearly was that third round, then that would mean it would have been a split draw. So that's my point there. That second round shocking, in inverted commas, knockdown actually cost Joseph Parker the fight. Very, very unfortunate. Um, just quickly, as before we ramble on too much, Dillian White, you said it, he needs a world title fight next. I believe he certainly deserves that now. He's done a lot more than most of the other contenders. He's had two real 50-50 fights in the last few months. Um, you know, Chisora, like I say, and, and Joseph Parker here. Um... He deserves a world title fight. Let's talk about Joseph Parker now, though. I think he's joined the Who Needs Him club. He's obviously a really good fighter. Um, he's he's certainly world level. He's well up there with the best still. And, um, you know, he's he, who would want to fight him now? I mean, I think probably the best thing for him is maybe to go back... To, to New Zealand and perhaps do something with Lucas Brown. I think him and Lucas Brown would be a good fight, a good matchup for the future. Um, I'd, I'd have to favour him over Lucas Brown, to be honest, but I think that's probably the biggest fight that he can he can really have at the moment because I kind of put him up there with people like Luis Ortiz. I mean, who would want to fight Luis Ortiz? It's high risk, low reward, and I think that's the same with Joseph Parker now. I definitely agree with you, and I think, I think that you're right, but Lucas Brown would be a very good fight for him, and I think that would be the best, I think, I think that would be a very good fight for him. I reckon all oh, three, four fights down, down the line, Joe Joyce could be a good fight for him. Perhaps, but again, I think Joe Joyce at this stage is very high risk and very low reward. But um, yeah, he's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place now, Joseph Parker. All the very best to him, though. Um, 
just talking about the predictions here, actually, I had two weeks, I believe, of getting every single thing right. Well, it had to come to an end. I picked four fights. We all picked. We all predicted on four fights, and I got all four horribly wrong. Iaz, you gained two points, and the listeners gained one, which means that you, Iaz, and the listeners are both tied once again. Iaz is back, people. He is back. Joint top. But moving over now to the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, USA. A few fights to mention over here. Um, Mario Barrios, he moved to 22-0. He made his opponent retire on his store after eight rounds. Jose Roman, he was pretty much losing everything. He was down in round four and round eight. Barrios was actually cut on his eye in the first round, but it ended up being no problem for Mario Barrios. He's now 22-0, a friend of the show. He was on a few weeks ago. Luis Ortiz, we were just talking about him. He moved to 29-1, a very big KO in the second round. Razvan Kajanu, a man that took Joseph Parker the distance once upon a time, he got stopped brutally. So a KO there in round two. Razvan Kajanu now 16-4. and four. On to the next one for the Cuban Luis Ortiz. Also on the undercard, the brother of Marcos Maidana, Fabian Maidana. He moved to 16-0. and 0, A KO in the seventh round against Andre Klimov, who's 20-5 and 5 now. Klimov was down in the seventh round also. Um, so yeah, that was where the KO came. A big win there for Fabian Maidana. He certainly got that power. And the main event here, Mikey Garcia, 38-0. He took on Robert Easter Jr., 21-0. It was a unification at lightweight for the IBF and WBC World Lightweight titles. Easter Jr. was down in the third round, but it ended up being a unanimous decision over 12 in favor of Mikey Garcia. He's now 39-0. You correctly predicted a points win, Iaz, and I went with KO, and so did the listeners. So we got it wrong. This is the point that you gained. Um, let me just quickly talk about this fight here. Did you happen to see this fight, Ayaz? I know it wasn't on TV. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see this fight. Yeah, same for most of the other people. I had to stream it, which I hate doing. And I was so angry at Box Nation and Sky for not picking it up. Because Box Nation, I think, have had two weeks in a row now where they should have shown certain fights and haven't done. Um, but it is what it is. I think they're trying to get Kovalev's fight on Saturday on their channel but nothing's been announced just yet that's another story by the way just wanted to quickly say all tears it was a right hook followed by a straight left very audacious little combination there and it was beautiful it really really was but yeah robert easter jr and mikey garcia in the first round easter came out using that jab he was out working mikey actually i gave him that round uh, the second round, it was quite competitive. I'd probably edge it to Mikey. In the third round, again, it was very competitive, but Mikey was getting closer with his shots. And this was where Robert Easter got knocked down, of course. Mikey threw a jab and a straight right, finished off with a very quick short left hook. Um, it was brilliant. Again, very audacious little move. Um, we saw two audacious moves on this card that both led to knockdowns. Easter did get back up, and he didn't seem too shaken. The bell came just seconds later, though. It was a 10-8 round in the third there for Mikey Garcia. In the round four, Mikey upped the tempo. He started to put the pressure on Easter. Easter not really throwing too much back at that point. He didn't. I don't think he really wanted to risk being countered. 
In the fifth round, another Mikey Garcia round. His ring IQ is just insane. Easter has got such long arms and he swings wildly and um, he's got very quick hands actually, but he just didn't have the accuracy that Mikey Garcia possesses. In the sixth round, it was a close round. I felt that Easter started quite well. Mikey finished well. Easter was using his jab to good effect. Mikey did get through with some nice shots here and there, especially towards the end of that round. In the seventh round, it was another competitive round, but I felt that Mikey Garcia edged it my scorecard would um, I guess at that point would probably end up looking like the fight was one-sided when it was quite competitive a lot of these rounds were competitive but Mikey was doing enough to edge him he's a very smart boxer like I've said um, he was grabbing a few of the rounds there he really was in the eighth round I felt that Easter started well and not much was landed in the second half of the round by either guy so Easter certainly won that round um, pretty much through his work in the first part of the round but I will say that Easter was constantly on the back foot because Mikey was pressing the action and pushing Easter back by holding the center of the ring um, it, it, it can give off the impression that Mikey was winning everything that's that's a thing there you know a lot of people score it like that again that's another thing in the scoring when you watch a fight where a guy is boxing off the back foot and another guy is in the center of the ring pushing him back it can it can give off the impression that the guy in the middle of the ring is doing the better stuff, but it's not always the way. But yeah, that was something to note. Um, I thought that the judges probably saw it like that at some points, favouring Mikey when the rounds were really close and it could have gone either way. In the ninth round, both men stood toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but it was bad news for Robert Easter Jr. because he took some really big shots. It was by far the round of the fight at that point, though. Very exciting exchanges, but Mikey came off best. In the 10th round, Robert started the round jabbing again, but in the later part of the round, Mikey pinned Easter on the ropes once or twice and unloaded combinations on him. Mikey's round again there for me. In the 11th, Mikey was starting to land the 1-2 at will. Easter was coming back with his own right hands, but he didn't put a dent in Mikey at all. Mikey outworked him and won that round. In the 12th round, it was more of the same, really. Garcia finished well. Um, Garcia raised his hands as the bell went and Easter didn't even attempt to celebrate. He knew he was beaten. My scorecard read 118-109 in favour of Garcia, but it, again, it doesn't look like it was competitive because Mikey did enough um, in just enough in some of those rounds or in quite a lot of those rounds so it was very competitive rounds but Mikey got the better of most of them um, Robert Easter has since put a video out saying that Mikey Garcia can seriously hit hard and he didn't enjoy it um, he's, he's also wearing sunglasses I believe to cover um, some of the bumps on his eyes so all the very best to Robert Easter Jr he responded to his first loss very very well very positively he said back to the drawing board nothing's going to change I'll be champion again so I'm pleased for him he's a friend of the show he's a new friend of the show and Mikey Garcia who's been on a bunch of times before it was a great great fight a brilliant unification and the world is now Mikey Garcia's oyster he's talking about moving up to 147 and taking on Errol Spence Jr it could be a bad move for him I think he's way too small for 147 and I think Errol Spence is one of the biggest 147s in that division so could be a bad move for him there but all the very best to Mikey nobody can tell him 
him that he can't do anything. He can do what he likes. Moving over now to the Kissimmee Civic Center in Florida, USA. Couple fights to mention here, actually. This was shown on Box Nation. Um, I didn't bother tuning in, though, unfortunately, because I wasn't a massive fan of this bill. But one fight to mention, really. Masayuki Ito, he fought for the vacant WBO World Super Featherweight title, the belt that Lomachenko vacated against Christopher Diaz, 23-0, undefeated. Diaz was down in the fourth round, but it ended up being a unanimous decision over 12 in favor of Masayuki Ito. His record now 24-1 with one draw. Christopher Diaz, 23-1. and um, and now, a fight that actually took place on Tuesday of this week in Thailand, I believe it was. One fight to mention over here, a guy called Tasana Sampatan. He moved to 47-0. and It was a six-round win against Manok Komput, who has a losing record of 16-24 and now. But big up to Tasana Sampatan. I think he's only about 24 or 25 years of age, and he's 47-0 and already against a very padded... Um, opposition but um it doesn't matter he's he's moving on to 50 and 0 for sure whether you like it or not but he can do what he wants he's from thailand the home of the uh the the very great sarisaket saw rungvasai who we like on this show but that's really it for the reviewing it took quite a while there was a lot to talk about it's now time just before we wrap up part one to welcome our very first guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Doncaster De La Hoya himself. It's, of course, Mr. Dave Allen. Dave, welcome back on the show, my friend. How do you, man? Long time. Long time, long time it certainly has been. So, Dave, firstly, there's nowhere really else to start aside from your emphatic knockout win on Saturday night. How would you assess your performance there? Yeah, I was happy with it, you know. I the fight out of shape. Um, just took it, really. I wasn't, wasn't, wasn't really... Half asked about it. I was going to fight someone the night before, and I thought I'll take this fight. It was really good money. And the other two fights turned down, and I knew the fight was winnable. I knew if I was 100% fit, I'd beat it. But the only doubt I had of winning the fight was because I wasn't in great shape. But you know, it became pretty early on. It became pretty clear um, I was going to win the fight. You know, I knew after about 30 seconds I would win the fight. Um, the knockout came earlier than I anticipated, but. I was always confident from the first day after 30 seconds I was, I was always going to win the fight. You talked about after the fight how Nigel Benn came and visited you in the dressing room beforehand. You claimed it had a real positive effect on you. Describe that moment for us if you can. Yeah, I was just, I was just in the changing room getting my hands wrapped and I felt the top of my shoulder turn around. Um, it was Nigel Benn. <laughs> uh, he had five, ten minutes with me and he, he... I can't remember word for word what he said, but... It was something to the to the effect of go out there and fucking show them what you can do and, and go and do the business, you know. Um, it was amazing. I couldn't believe he was there. You know, he came to look for me. And then Barry Hearn came in. Barry Hearn gave me the, the talk. So, so yeah, you know, I just felt like I've got to go out there and win that fight, you know. People, people really want me to achieve things and do well. So, you know, it, it really didn't give me a kick up the arse. And you seemed a tiny bit surprised, in, in in my opinion, when you when you did knock Nick Nick Webb out. You seemed a little bit surprised. Have I read that wrong, or were you surprised a little bit? No, I expected to win. It was a fight I really did expect to win. I watched Nick Webb and after 30 seconds, I felt his power on the gloves. and realised he wasn't that fast. realised he couldn't do that well. And I knew I would win. I knew I would win. I was surprised when I came as early as I was expecting to be. 
maybe six, seven, maybe eight rounds before I took him out. It came early, which is always nice. So no, no, there was no surprise there. And um, like I say, it's just when the action got going, I really, I, I had wasn't an expectation. I knew I was going to win. I just knew. After the two rounds, I had his mouth wide open, and I thought, he can't, he's not, he's not strong, he's not strong enough to keep me through after the great round. And you say that you knew in the first 30 seconds that you were going to win that fight. What actually happened for you to realise that, Dave? Because for the first sort of maybe two or three rounds, I, I didn't really feel like you'd let your hands go too much, to be honest. But was that part of the game plan? Yeah, I went out there in the first round. I just wanted to have a look at his power. And maybe land with a jab or two, which I know he felt. Every time I hit him with the jab early, he was making, he was making faces to say, I don't like being hit. And, and I've seen the reactions. Like I said, the reactions tell the story. The reactions I was getting from him were, fucking hell, I don't want to get hit on the chin because I want to go to sleep. You know when someone's been knocked out a few times this far before. The, the face of reaction, he wasn't reacting well to the jab. So... After the first round, I went to Mick. I said, Mick, he's too slow. He's going to be hard enough to be. He's got to go. The second round, I went out there. Same again. The same as the first round. I know for two or three rounds, he's carrying a bit of power in it. He, he could punch a little bit, but nothing, nothing I couldn't handle. But at the same time, I still didn't want to walk on anything silly or take too many punches and not go someone come on late strong because I took too many punches. So, same again. The third round, I upped it a little bit. Just up the pace of my feet, not my hands. Because the, the lights in it were, I didn't need, I, I didn't need to, I was so confident he was going to slow. I didn't need to, I was hitting the body. Um, I was making him work with his feet, I was making him work with his feet, and I was making him throw punches that I didn't want to throw. And none of them was landing clean, I was taking most of the power off or, or evading them altogether. In the fourth round, the, the, the big right hand finally landed, and then I knew it would land again. I didn't think it'd come so fast, so I started hitting him in the body. And then the shot came again, so for me, it was an easy night's work, it was really easy, I wasn't even out of first gear. That level for me, I don't know what level Nick Webb is, but whatever level that is, you know, at this point in my career, with a little bit of experience behind me now, I'm well above it. I'm not sure what level that is, though. Okay, interesting answer there. Um, you know, before the fight, you, you'd you publicly said that you thought you'd possibly retire um, regardless of the result really and on last week's podcast um, I presented the show alongside Eddie Chambers when I told him that you'd possibly be retiring he was just you know he was quite upset with that he said that you shouldn't do that and he was explaining you know how he's seen so much brilliant things from you in the gym I just really wanted to ask you um, Dave have you had a chance to you know to sit down with yourself and kind of think things through and if so where are we with all that? Yeah, yeah, for the last of the fights, there'd be nowhere to go, you know. So I probably would have retired with a defeat, but a win reignites really really nice my career, really. You know, wherever. The Joyce fight, the Bois, Gorman, uh, the Brown, so many options there. I love a bit of time off that I wanted. The young fight was really hard. The young fight came too soon, but I had to take it. So, so now, really, I'm starting my career again from scratch now. You know, I want to do it properly now. So, you know, I will be continuing. Um, can make a living out of boxing well, proper living and a living that's going to sustain me and my family for years to come you know we'll be three or four more wins and Saturday night again the conference we really, really can compete now at a decent level Excellent, my friend. Excellent. Now, of course, that fight was an eliminator for the British title. Um, nobody expects the champion Huey Fury at the moment to really stay at that level for too long so I mean in an ideal world he could vacate and I'm guessing you'd probably take on somebody for the vacant title um, is there any idea at this stage who who that could be against or when that could happen just yet? I'm not in no rush to fight for the British title you know when I fight the British title I want to win it I don't just want to compete for it so when I come back I would like some 8 and 10 rounders against decent opposition and um, 
you know, to keep learning and keep improving, keep getting experience, keep getting some more rounds in the bank. So there's no rush, there's no rush for anything whatsoever. You know, something since we're here a couple of months off, we'll get back in touch and then we'll go from there. So I'm not really thinking about anything about boxing related at the minute. I'm just enjoying Saturday and I'm going to take it, where, take, take it from there when, when, when the phone rings. And I just want to get your opinion on a couple of other fights. Obviously, um, you know, on the same card as you the other night, Chisora versus Takam was, well, that was very surprising for me. And obviously the main event, White versus Parker, both of those fights went completely the opposite of what I predicted. Have you had a chance to watch those fights? And if so, what did you make of both of them, Dave? Yeah, I've watched yeah. them both. And I, I had Takam a massive favourite. I think Chisora much a chance. But, you know, Parker, I'm a very tough man that he is. Unbelievable form. White Parker, but... Dylan did really well. I think Park was a, a really good fighter, so it was a really good result. So for me, I would I would like to see White Zora too. That's the fight I want to see. I think it, I think it makes the most sense. Yeah, that'd be that'd certainly be something to look forward to if the rematch does come off. And um, Joshua versus Povetkin, Dave. Uh, you know, it's a fight that a lot of people are kind of criticising already, but I don't think. I don't think some of the people that say these things know too much about Bovetkin because he's such a danger man. And I don't think, even though he didn't look brilliant against David Price, I mean, it was only the one punch he really took for me. I think it's a much harder fight than some people believe. Do you see it, you, do you see it as a hard fight or is it an easy win for Joshua? Yeah, it's not an easy fight. I, think, I don't think Bovetkin's the fight he was a few years ago. I think Bovetkin from three or four years ago, for me, arguably, it would be a 50-50 matchup. But I think Bovetkin is on the slide. It's not an exciting fight because everyone's expecting to see. Everyone wants to see Joshua Wilder or Joshua Fury. Joshua fighting anybody that is not Wilder or Fury is going to is going to garner some some bad publicity and some um, bad press. So I think Povetkin's a good fight. I think Joshua's resume really. You know, I sat down and looked at it the other week and thought, you know what? You cannot knock him at all because he's got a brilliant resume. So for 20, 20, 21 fights, unbelievable. And Povetkin again, it's another it's another fantastic. Uh, win on his record if he, if he does beat Vekin which is not a, which is not a given yeah for sure for sure and lastly Dave I just really wanted to give you a chance to um, to send out a message to your supporters obviously we haven't spoke since before the Tony Yoka fight but it was amazing that so many fans travelled out to France to see your fight there and of course all the guys that showed up for you on the weekend what's your message to your supporters Dave yeah as always thank you very much without them it wouldn't be possible the O2 was, was loud and and uh, the right word, what's the right word? Vociferous. It was vociferous well from the arena. After the fight, it was unbelievable. And, and I'm not sure it would happen without them all. So that was always just a massive thank you for everything. Yeah, very well said, Dave. I've got a feeling by the by the sounds of, of, of the echoing, you're not in the bath, are you? I am in the bath, yes, as always. Where, oh. do, all my, where do all my best thinking? Oh, wicked. Well, we, we're, we're very lucky to have you in the bath, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, it's always my pleasure speaking with you. It truly is. I wish you the best of luck for the future, as always. And of course, we'll catch up again sometime soon for sure. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part is Ayaz's time to shine. Ayaz, give us the latest news. A lot of trainer switching. Yes, and um, the first one is that Isaac Chamberlain will now be trained by Jorge Rubio. Yes, a very reputed trainer, Jorge Rubio. Um, He's he's you know he's he's comes from that Cuban school of boxing, and um, yeah he's brought a few good fighters through. So that's a great link up for him actually. I know that he was talking about, I think he was talking about at one stage linking up training wise with like an old trainer that I think 
first got him into boxing, like an old African guy um, based in London somewhere who no one had really heard of. And it kind of seemed like he was going there for loyalty reasons rather than his best interests for his career. So I'm happy that he's, you know, he's ditched that idea and actually gone with someone who's reputable as Jorge Rubio. So that hopefully will work really, really well for Isaac Chamberlain. And it'll be brilliant to see him return to the ring, hopefully sometime soon. This week, Scotty Carter's fighting on the Joe Cardina undercard, but however, he's decided to leave Joe Gallagher. Yeah, Scotty Cardle split from Joe Gallagher. Um, I'm wondering if that's why Scotty Cardle likes, you know, he likes to keep doing these T-shirt giveaway competitions because all the shirts have got Gallagher's gym on the back of them in big writing. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, I wish him all the best, but I don't think it was working too well with Joe Gallagher. I don't think that that partnership worked brilliantly, to be honest. Um, you, know, you know, he kind of got to a certain level and then. It was it was kind of flat performances we saw from him, and the way he got steamrolled by Lewis Ritson was just I mean that was destroying really. So um, yeah, best of luck to him, and uh, hopefully he can progress. So the news that came out earlier this week is that Luke Campbell has decided um, to get Shane McGuigan as his trainer. Yeah, big big news, um, massive for Shane McGuigan as well. Obviously, um, you know. His stable kind of took a bit of a hit when Carl Frampton left, when David Hay left, when Comrade Cummings left, and I think maybe one or two others left. And slowly but surely, I mean, he's stuck with George Groves. That partnership has worked really, really well. He's got Chantel Cameron, obviously, Josh Taylor, how can I forget, and a couple of other guys there. But um, it took a bit of a hit because Carl Frampton's obviously one of the biggest names in British boxing. So was David Hay at the time, and still is, to be honest. So um, when they left, it was a big blow, really. But yeah, it's good. Good to see him back with Luke Campbell. Luke Campbell's a promising talent who perhaps will have a big fight announced really, really soon for something big. Um, so, yeah, I hope that it works out. I think that Luke showed us his character against Jorge Linares, even though, you know, he didn't he didn't come out best and he didn't get the win there. It was very, very close. But, um, yeah, I, I think that that is actually a good partnership and I'm excited to see how it all works. Yep, and finally... Um, Joe Joyce has decided um, to make Abel Sanchez his trainer. Yeah, he moved out to California at Big Bear to um, have a little trial period. We mentioned it on last week's show, but he's decided that it's working well and they're going to make it permanent. So brilliant things there for Joe Joyce. Um, he's training alongside Gennady Golovkin. He's uploaded a few pictures. It looks like a great, great stable. It's one of the best training facilities in the world in terms of boxing training. So I'd like to wish Joe Joyce all the very best. Um, he's been on the show once before, Joe Joyce. I'm hoping that he'll still be as easy to reach by by phone as he has been before um, maybe maybe it won't be the case but um, he'll, he'll still be fighting in the UK of course so um, yeah I guess I guess hopefully it will still be easy to reach him and we'll have to get him on the show at some point soon that's it for the news okay Ayaz thank you so much for that right we're going to start with a card that's happening in just a matter of hours actually it starts tomorrow Friday the 3rd of August at 10.30am UK time on Box Nation Box Nation have finally delivered here after a you know a, a kind of quiet couple of weeks in my opinion so by the time you listen to this the fight may even be over um, obviously the podcast goes out on a Thursday evening so um, yeah 
if you don't listen straight away, then this fight's probably happened. So we're going to try to go for it pretty quickly. On the undercard, well, well, let's talk about the venue, actually. It's happening at the Technology Park in Redfern, Australia, New South Wales. On the undercard, the son of Costa Zoo, Tim Tazoo, he looks to move to 10-0 at the moment. He's got a perfect record, 9-0. He fights for the WBC Asian Boxing Council Continental Super Welterweight title. That belt's actually his. He's the champion. He defends it against Stevie Ferdinandus, whose record is 27-15 and 15 with one draw, a 10-rounder there. But the main event, Billy Dibb, 43 and 4 fights Tevin Farmer 25 and 4 with one draw it's for the vacant IBF world super featherweight title now few notes here Billy Dibb obviously a former world champion he's he's achieved brilliant brilliant things winning the world title before Tevin Farmer let's be honest I think he should have won his last fight and when he got in some people's eyes robbed um you know the the guy that he fought for the vacant title actually fouled a drugs test so they stripped him and here Tevin Farmer is in many people's eyes he should be a world champion and he deserves to be a world champion but will it all come together for him tomorrow tomorrow morning or if you're in Australia then tomorrow night um yeah it's 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 very difficult it's, it's a very difficult fight to pick actually um Tevin Farmer a master boxer Billy Dib, he can box, he can also hit as well. I remember when the fight was going to be happening the first time around, it was actually before it was going to be happening, we had a three-way interview. It was me, Billy Dib, and Tevin Farmer all on one interview. And Billy Dib, at this point, um, he was going to be fighting the winner of Ogawa and Tevin Farmer. And they were on the interview together, and Tevin Farmer actually was expressing his desire to fight um, Billy Dib down the line. And Billy Dib said... If the fight happens, if I fight you, I need to knock you out. I'm not going to beat you on points. But that all changed because he didn't become a champion, Tevin Farmer. He actually became a, a top contender, obviously. And so is Billy Dibb. So now that the title's vacant, there's no massive lion share, like an 80-20 split. So it's a 50-50 thing, if I'm not mistaken. And Billy Dibb, that means his promoters are in a much better position to offer big money to Tevin Farmer. So they've offered him the money. Um, Tevin Farmer's team couldn't say no. He's now going over to Australia for this one. And Billy Dibb tells me that he doesn't need to knock him out now. He can win on points. So he's not worried about any kind of dodgy scorecard in America. He believes and has faith in the Australian, um, well, not the judges. I think the judges are going to be quite um, quite neutral, actually. I don't think they're all going to be Australian, but I think he's got faith in those judges to do the right job, and he believes he can now win on points or by knockout. Um, we haven't done the predictions on this, Ayaz, but just for a bit of fun anyway, let's just let's just say them. Um, it's a tough fight to pick, actually. I think Tevin Farmer, like I say, I don't think he's gonna gonna stop Billy Dib at all. But I think on his day, he is seriously hard to outpoint, and I'm not sure that Billy Dib would be able to catch him clean enough to knock him out. Um, it's a tough one. It's a, in fact, I'm not going to pick. I'm not going to pick a winner. I'm going to sit on the fence for once. Actually, um, all the very best. May the best man win. They're both friends of this show. Even though Tevin Farmer, I think, doesn't like me anymore because I approached him to do an interview um, with Billy Dib again, a freeway interview, when the fight actually got made official, and he flat out refused. And he doesn't want to do an interview with me. It would seem since then. So we had to get Billy Dib on on his own. So um, 
doesn't matter, Tevin. We still got a lot of love for you, my friend. Once you're on the show, once you're a friend of the show for life, and you've been on, I think, three times. So all the very best to you, my friend, and also to Billy Dib. Truly, may the best man win. Moving over now, though, to Croatia. Mark Dimori's promoting a show, and he's fighting on it. His record: thirty-two and two, with two draws. He's in an eight-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Moving over now to Spain in Marbella at the Palacio de Congresos. We have Kerman Lejaraga, the guy that beat Bradley Ski. He's still undefeated, 25-0. and 0. He's got a fight down the line against Frankie Gavin, but he's having a keep-busy fight against Michele DeRocco. We remember him. He got stopped by Ricky Burns for the vacant 140 title at one point. His record, 41-3 with one draw. He has one of the best padded records in boxing history. It's a 10-rounder here. Kerman Lejaraga by slaughter for me. Um, moving over now to the Ice Arena in Wales, Cardiff, United Kingdom. This one is a next-gen show. It's going to be on Sky Sports. Let's talk about the undercard. Cody Davies, he is promoted by Haymaker Promotions. His record 5-0. and He's an exciting Welsh fighter. It's good for him to be fighting at home. His opponent yet to be announced. We have also Scotty Cardle. You mentioned Iaz. 22-2 and with one draw. He takes on Michael Mooney who's 8-51 and with one draw. A clear journeyman. It's a six-round contest there. Gamal Yafai, he gets out on this one. His record 14-1. and He looks to bounce back after losing to Gavin McDonnell. A brilliant fight that was. Um, Jordan Gill, 20 and 0 takes on David Burner 16 and 4. This is an eight rounder here. David Burner, if you remember correctly, he's the guy that got stopped by Michael Conlon in two rounds earlier this year. Um, yeah, so so yeah, don't expect too much there. But Jordan Gill, sometimes he fights with his heart rather than his head, so it could be quite exciting that one. Jordan Gill. 20-0, like I say, an 8-rounder there. Um, Danny R. Yelusinov, 2-0, takes on Gabor Gorbix, who's 24-11. and 11. We've seen Gorbix a bunch of times. He got knocked out by Asinia Byfield. He got knocked out by, well, he retired on his store against Kerman Leharaga. And he's been here a couple of times, I believe. So, yeah, should be an easy win there for Danny R. Yelusinov, 2-0. That's an 8-rounder there. Natasha Jonas, 6-0. The Miss GB, they call her. This is a 10 two-minute round contest for the WBA International Female Super Featherweight title. Um, That belt belongs to Natasha Jonas, so this is her first defense here. She takes on a very familiar name, Vivian Obernauf, whose record's 12-4. and Of her four losses, one was to Katie Taylor, a points loss over six rounds. Um, one was to Chantel Cameron, where she retired on her store after six rounds. That was her last fight, by the way. And she gets in against Natasha Jonas, so she would have felt the power of all three of the girls coming through at the moment in the UK and Ireland for Katie Taylor there. Um, so, yeah, a brilliant measuring stick fight here. Hopefully Natasha Jonas can impress. But the main event here, Joe Cordina returns to Wales. His record 7-0. and He fights for the vacant Commonwealth lightweight title against Sean Masha Dodd. Sean Masha Dodd, of course, a previous holder of this belt. Sean Dodd, 15-3 and with one draw, coming off that loss to Tommy Coyle earlier this year in April where he got TKO'd. 
You'd certainly have to favour Joe Cordina to win that one and quite handily. Moving over now, though, to a build that's happening at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. It's going to be shown on HBO. Well, a couple decent fights, actually. Vaughn Alexander, that's the brother of Devin Alexander. I think he did about 10 or so years in jail. He takes on friend of the show, Dennis Duglin. That's a 10-rounder there. Dennis Duglin, 20-6. and six. All the very best to him. He's recently linked up with David Benavidez, his father. That's his trainer now. Um... Dimitri Bivol, 13-0, takes on the very tough and rugged Isaac Chilemba, 25-5 with two draws. This one's for Dimitri Bivol's WBA World Light Heavyweight title. We've gone to the prediction leagues on this one, Iaz. Dimitri Bivol versus Isaac Chilemba. How do you see that fight playing out? I'll go for a Bivol knockout. Okay, that's a, that'd be a statement, actually. Obviously, Chilemba has only been knocked out once, and it wasn't a proper knockout. He retired on his stall against Alexander Gvozdik. Um, he retired after eight rounds. He went the distance with Kovalev. He went the distance with Kovalev's opponent for this week that we're going to talk about in a few seconds, Alida Alvarez. And he also went the distance with Tony Bellew. Um, I am going to go with a... Dimitri Bivol points win. That's how I see it. Um, Dimitri Bivol can knock out a horse, though. That's simple as that. He has a record of 13-0 with 11 by knockout. A friend of the show, Dimitri Bivol, he came on in broken English and did a great job. We'll be speaking to him soon for sure. But the main event, Sergei Kovalev, 32-2 with one draw, takes on Alida Alvarez, 23-0. As a man that Adonis Stevenson has been paying step-aside money to for a long, long time, he's decided to go a different route. It's for the I WBA World Light Heavyweight title, forget about that. It's for the WBO World Light Heavyweight title. A 12-round contest, as we've gone to the predictions. Kovalev versus Alvarez. Uh, I'm gonna, um, I think it'll be a very, very good fight. Obviously, Kovalev's the huge favourite. So I'm gonna, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go for a Kovalev knockout as well. Kovalev knockout, yeah. I think I'm going to have to go with that as well. I don't think Alvarez really carries the power to keep Kovalev off, certainly not for 12 rounds. Um, he's coming off a win against John Pascal. That was his last fight, um, Alvarez, back in June of 2017. So he's been out of the ring for just over a year, actually. So that's not great. But his last fight before that was against Lucian Butte. So he's mixed in good company. He's also beat Isaac Chalemba, like we mentioned. Um, he's took on Edison Miranda as well. He's fought some decent guys. He's a good fighter, but this could be a bad fight for him, I think. Kovalev, even though it looks like he's slowing down, um, I think that he will still be able to win this and buy a knockout. But it makes for a brilliant, brilliant fight. A main events card, obviously, this one. Um, yeah, I go with Kovalev knockout as well, as Moving over now to the Nassau Coliseum in Union down New York, USA. This is the final bill to mention. It's happening on Fox Sports in the US, I believe. A Lou DiBella card, PBC. Um, we have. It's a, real, it's a real decent card, this, actually. Let's start with the undercard. Um, Antonio Russell, 11-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight-rounder there. He's the brother of Gary Russell Jr. Also, Gary Antoine Russell. That's the other brother. His record, 6-0. He's an eight-rounder against Jose Esquivel, who has a record of 10-7. Brandon Figueroa. That's the brother of Omar Figueroa. Three brothers of boxers here. 
He's an eight-rounder against Lewis Cruz, who's 13-0. That could be exciting. Richard Comey, 26-2, the man that lost to Robert Easter Jr. and also lost, I believe, to Denis Shafakov. A good fighter, though, from Ghana. Richard Comey, he can really bang. He takes on Yardley Cruz, who's a little bit... I don't want to say a journeyman. His record's 24-10, and 10, but he loses at a certain level. And Comey should be above that level. Also, Marcus Brown, 21-0, takes on Lenin Castillo, who's 18-1 with one draw. Um, I don't know too much about Castillo. Let me just quickly pull up his record to see if he's fought anybody of note. Um, otherwise, it's probably a bit of a padded record. Um, let's have a little look here. Castillo, Castillo, Castillo. The one loss came to Joseph Williams, who I must say I haven't heard of, even though he's he's undefeated 12-0 at the moment. Um, excuse me if you know who he is and I don't. I, I sound pretty bad there. Um, other than that, he drew against a guy who was 15-0. He might be quite good, but Marcus Brown, I believe, certainly the real deal. Um, also on the bill, former world champion Louis Calazzo. He's still going 37-7. and I don't even know how old he is now. I think he's late 30s at least. I think he's 37-ish. He takes on... Bryant Perella, who has a record of 15-1. and one. That one loss came to Jordanis Ugas by knockout in 2016. He hasn't been massively active, Bryant Perella. Um, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he can bang, so it could be an interesting fight. Also, the former world champion, Sergei Lipinets, he returns to the ring since losing for the first time in his career to Mikey Garcia. His record, 13-1. and one. He's in a 10-rounder against Eric Bone, who's 20-5. and five. Eric Bone coming off four wins in a row, and before those four wins in a row, he was coming off of four losses in a row. Those losses were to Sean Porter, Chris Algieri, Miguel Vasquez, and Eddie Ramirez. All of those fighters they're good fighters, so this will be a good fight, I believe, for Sergei Lipinets, a 10-rounder there. He's also a friend of the show. Another interesting fight here, Peter Quillen, 33-1 and with one draw. He fought in September of 2017 against Deshaun Johnson, who's a complete journeyman, and he ended up going the distance with him. Um, the fight before that, we hadn't seen him for over two years, I think it was, when he took on Danny Jacobs and got stopped in the first round, so he's been very inactive, Peter Quillen. He takes on Jay Leon Love, 24-1 and one with one draw. Obviously a Mayweather fighter. Um, I think that's a cracking, cracking fight and a really hard one to pick, actually. That's a 10-rounder there. And the main event, Devin Alexander, friend of the show, 27-4 and four with one draw. Another man that has obviously been quite inactive. He's had one fight this year, a majority draw against Victor Ortiz in a fight where I think he probably did enough to win. And the fight before that, he returned after... Again, having two years out the ring, he beat Walter Castillo. Uh, he takes on, like I say, Andre Berto, another man who really has been quite inactive. This is a card full of inactive fighters. Um, Andre Berto, last time out, he was seen against Sean Porter when he got TKO'd in nine rounds. His last win came against Victor Ortiz over two years ago now. A tough fight to pick there. Um, Ayers. Finally, let's let's talk about the predictions, actually. Devin Alexander versus Andre Berto. In my eyes, I think he's got points written all over it. You may see differently. Who do you favour in that one? First, I want to know, who's Andre Berto even training? Because Virgil Hunt, is he even training anyone, first of all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in the corner on the weekend for, you know, for Mario Barrios. He trains Barrios. He's still training all of them. I think he's back to full health now. Is he? So, with Amir Khan, is he split completely, then? I am not 100% sure on that one. Because, because he, I know he was training 
Andre Butt, Andre Butt was running under him, but I think um oh that's one. He's gonna is he gonna be still in the corner of Andre Butt? I believe so. I haven't I haven't seen anything. I think it'd be a good fight, but if I'm gonna go with a win, I'm gonna go with Alexander on points. Alexander on points, yeah, I have to agree. Okay, um that is it, I believe, for the previewing. Let me just check, let me just check. Is there anything else? No, there isn't. That is it for the previewing. We've brought you the first guest. We brought you part one, which consisted of that interview with Dave Allen and also of course the review part of the show. Part two has been the news. We've just done the previewing. Just before we wrap up part two and end the show, the last thing to do, as always, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF featherweight world title challenger, Mr. Eric Hunter. Eric, welcome back on the show. Hey, how you doing? All good, my friend, all good. So, Eric, obviously, we haven't spoken to you since before the Selby fight. We spoke before you left America for England, I remember. Um, The fight itself, obviously, um, April the 9th, 2016, just over two years ago now, the referee didn't do a great job officiating the fight. You were able to drop Selby with a beautiful left hook in the second round. Please just tell us what you remember from that night in London, Eric. Everything right now is like kind of like a blur, but... um... I felt as though the fight was going well, and it was going in my favor. Then it just it, it, it changed. It changed once I uh, I was I, I don't I don't really know. It just it seemed like it just changed when they felt as, they felt as though I was getting a better end of me. So I don't I don't know. It was, for the most part, it was it was a good fight. It was a good fight, but um, I don't really know too much about it no more. I I even I haven't watched the fight, so I really I'm just really kind of like lost. Like, it's a blur now, so I don't really think about it. I just really focus on, I just want to focus on the stuff that I, focus, that I need to focus on now because I really forgot about it. But for the, I, just, I, I remember a little bit of, of the fight, but I don't remember too much about the fight. Okay, it was a good fight anyway while it lasted. But yeah, without dwelling yeah. without dwelling too much on that fight, it was over two years ago now. Obviously, you haven't boxed since. I know that you would have probably um, received quite a... Well, I'm guessing probably a career-high payday for that fight, but for two years, no fighting. What have you been able to do in the meantime, Eric, to you know to make things meet? Have you been training people? Training people. Uh, just trying to stay active for the most part, because I was uh, I was I was facing I was facing a lot of adversity after after that fight. Like I went through some mental stuff, depressed. You know what I mean? I was going through a lot. I, I had to find something to keep my mind. Mine off the uh off that fight. It, it was it was it was real 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 tough trying to uh get get over that fight. I I wish I could have had another fight right after that. I would have been I would have been better off. And why couldn't that happen, Eric? Obviously, you say you were facing a lot of adversity. What kept you out of the ring for such a long long time? Just just business. The boxing the boxing part of the, of the business. The I mean the, it was it was it was the business part. Not having a strong foundation behind me, so it was, that was tough. I mean, uh, people uh, saying I was hearing that people were saying that I was hard to deal with, or hard to work with. You know what I mean? Just stuff like that. It was like certain things, like basically, you know, in boxing, they don't like they don't really like when fighters ask questions or things like that because then it's like if you ask certain questions, why why I can't make this kind of money or well, any it's just basically the the, the people that work that handle box they don't really want to, they don't really want you to ask questions because they're kind of like best them 
When you ask questions and you try to find out what's going on or whatever, I guess that's the reason you really can't do it with me because I ask questions and, and certain things don't add up. Yeah. So when you find out things don't add up, they don't they don't like dealing with that type of stuff. Basically, it's basically take this or 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 it's nothing. It yeah. was like that. It was like that type of situation. Take this or or or, or you don't get nothing. Fights didn't come through. I remember one time I got offered fighting. The guy I think that's the champion now, Josh Warrington. I think that, that I had a chance to fight him at once upon a time. You know what I mean? Before he even fought for that belt, I think it was like another eliminator or something. But that didn't happen. And now he's world champion. So, okay, okay. You know, you know the boxing It's just a boxing thing. Boxing business. And I know that at the time of the Selby fight, you were still, you were still training with Coach Ant. Is that still going on now, or are you with somebody else? Yeah, he was never my coach. He was never like coach. He was he was just somebody that uh I brought in to help me out with my uh with my um like my arms staying loose and stuff like that, pad work because he one of the best he's one of the best at that. So you gotta take you gotta take your head off when it comes to the the pad work and stuff like that. He's good. He's very, very, very good at that. And um he was just basically he's basically just to help me out. And also, Eric, why you've been out of the ring? Have you have you managed to spar with some you know some big named fighters at all, or have you just done stuff with with the local guys kind of thing? Yeah, that, I, I stay local. I ain't, I ain't did none of that. I don't go around just being somebody's spar partner. I don't just do that type of stuff. Okay, and you're coming back. This fight is is happening at featherweight. Is that correct? Yeah. How have you managed to not put any weight on in that whole time out? You must have been eating clean and working out a lot, I'm guessing. My weight goes up and down, so I don't know. You know, some days I'm feeling good, some days I might feel a little stress or something like that. Like, take the weight off, whatever. I don't know. Okay, well, it's brilliant that you've been able to maintain the weight that you, you know, that you last fought at over two years ago. Now, not many people can do that. Um, but your fight, right. you'll be fighting next weekend in the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. In the other corner stands a man called Dulles Prescott. He's a former world title challenger also. He's a Colombian fighter. These Colombian fighters are always very tough. This is no easy fight. It's an extremely risky fight for a comeback fight. Eric, I'm sure you'd agree. Uh-huh. I guess so. <laughs> well, he's not. He's not. He's not just a tomato. Oh, I'm going to say it in the American way. He's not just a tomato. No, what I'm saying can, is, is what, I, what I'm saying. No, 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 heck no. I couldn't get it. Put it like this. I could not get up. Work out my best efforts for you to be okay. I needed somebody with some type of experience to bring the best out of me, make me, make me get up and say, yes, I'm doing it. Yes, I'm. I got somebody that's going to fight me. So I, I just, I just couldn't wake up. And just fight just anybody. That wouldn't have done nothing for me. I don't think it. Would, I don't think. I think that's disrespecting me. To be honest, and that's very disrespectful. And in your time out, I want to ask you. Obviously, you went through some hard times on the, you know, the the business side of boxing. Did your hunger yeah. for boxing leave you at all in that time, Eric? Yeah, and I would say it left and it came back. It was. I was, it was up and down. It was up and down some days because it was so hard getting the fights. 
and that's 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 what made me like, man, I'm just done with this sport because it was so hard getting the fights and trying to get my name back after that fight. Like it, it was, I was trying to redeem myself, and I, and it was making it hard for me to redeem myself. And I want to ask you, Eric, have you been watching the featherweight division? Obviously, a lot of things have happened since your timeout. Um, not really, but I try to catch. I try to catch some time. I, I try to catch the fight. Sometimes I caught. I caught. A, I caught Oscar Valdez fight. Fight the guy Scott Quigg. I, I caught that fight. Ooh, I caught the Scott Gary Quigg's, Russell versus Jojo Diaz. Yeah, that was a good fight. Scott Quigg's yeah, face that, after that fight was horrible, eh? Yeah, he, but he fought his butt off, though. Yeah, he did. He did. I want to ask you, Eric. You know you're going I mean? to be returning. You're going to be returning next weekend. How often do yeah. you ideally want to fight? Now, will you be fighting a few more times before the year's out? Oh, that's the plan. The plan is to stay active. So, if everything go right next week, I, I'll be looking to fight again prior to time in September. September. Okay, that will be brilliant, yep. and that'll be brilliant. And like I say, in your absence from the ring, things have changed massively in the featherweight division. Obviously, Lee Selby being dethroned by Josh Warrington, Oscar Valdez. Now he's he's the WBO champion. Leo Santa Cruz is now the WBA super champion. The only title that hasn't changed hands is the WBC Gary Russell Jr.'s belt. He's still the reigning champion. Ideally, Eric, because you've said it there, you don't want to fight these these journeymen. You don't want to be wasting any time now you want to push on for, for you know for these big fights straight away ideally what is the route for you have you got your eye on any of those champions what route do you see being the easiest one to go down one of them champions that you have the names that you have mentioned none of them are easy none of them all of them are great champions uh all, all, the, all the fights is ideally all the fights can happen personally stylistically i would i would like to fight probably like a Oscar Valdez and or or uh Leo Santa Cruz stylistically for for a great fight. And uh like far as like Gary Russell, I would think that he was trying to clean up his side and I would try to like if I if I get a chance to fight one of those champions, I try to get a belt from one of those like from either one of them. And it's like we can meet up like mate. Stylistically the Gary Russell fight and me and him it'll be like a more like a chess match. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. So you reckon Oscar Valdez or Leo Santa yeah. Cruz would be the best fight for you? Because because you gotta you gotta you get because stylistically, like for a fan, like a fan feel fight, like you got them, you got two people jumping on, you got two people just going to war, like you because they're gonna bring the best out of you. I think I heard because I definitely hear that Leo Santa Cruz and Gary might be fighting in the fall, and I know that's gonna be a great great fight. Yeah, yeah, it will be. It really will be. Um, I like the Oscar Valdez fight actually um, for you. I think obviously not straight away. You know, you that's need a couple I'm... of wins, but I think that's a good fight. Right? For you. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And Oscar Valdez is, you know, he's a man that's been on this show before. I like Oscar. I've got a lot of time for him. Obviously, um, you know, he owns his own pet crocodile. Do you know that? Oh uh, no, no, I had yeah. one when I was a kid. Really? Uh, yeah. I didn't know they had crocodiles in Philly. Yeah, we had one alligator. How big was it? It was huge. Because <laughs> his one's like nah, six for real. foot long. I wish I think I got a picture of it. Now you might have to send me that picture, man, yeah. because because his crocodile's about six foot long. He goes driving with it in the car, I believe. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we had one. I had we had one like I was like fifteen, sixteen years old. We had a solid good. We got it got taken from the police, but because of some some stuff happened. But it was, um, we had one. It was big. Wow. Well, that would probably be the first fight ever, the first world title fight where both. Uh, the world title, you know, both the people fighting each other have both had a pet crocodile at one point. I think that would be history making. <laughs> um, yeah, you I want to ask you, Eric, um, you know, a lot of yeah. people, it's their dream to come to the UK and fight. You did get a taste of what it's like to box in the UK, albeit it didn't go the way that you wished it would have gone. Would you rule out coming back to the UK or do you still have a desire to come back? Um... I, I like the UK. I, I, I love the UK. You know I do. I just, I just, I just don't like what happened to me. Besides that, I love the UK. I love them. I would fight. I would come back there and fight, especially if the money is right and business, the business is right. I'm there. If yeah, I get the opportunity to fight back there, I would be there. Yeah. I mean, it'd be good if you do come back. Like I say, it was a shame because... After the Selby fight, you know, you had a you had a real big name in the UK for a long time, you know. You dropped Selby for the first time in his career and um that, you know, to have a fight so soon after that would have been brilliant because everyone, you know, everybody knew who you were. Yeah, but because now, I heard yeah, because I heard, I thought I thought I had a chance to fight with another kid. I think kid named Kid Galahad. I thought kid I had Galahad. A, they said I had a chance to fight. Yep. That's yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. said they said they said I had a chance to fight him too. Yeah, but his handlers and them turned to down or something. Yeah, yeah, he's a decent fighter. He's still undefeated. I think he's actually fighting in yeah. the world title eliminator soon. But yeah, that'd be yeah. a good fight as well. Yeah. All right, Eric, That's just before I let you go, just before I let you go, I just really wanted to give you an opportunity to get anything off your chest. If if perhaps I haven't asked you something you wanted me to ask you, or if you just simply want to send out a message to your to your supporters, just take it away. Say whatever you like, my friend. Eric Hunter is back. King Outlaw is back. Just make sure y'all stay watching me. And, uh, hope, hopefully I can get y'all the fight that y'all want to see. They were in, in the fight that will bring the best out of me. That's about it. Yeah, that is that is perfect. That is what we want, Eric. And where can people follow you again if they want to, um, you know, follow your journey uh, on Twitter, Instagram? Uh, Instagram is one Eric Hunter, and my Facebook is Eric Hunter. Facebook Eric That's Hunter. Instagram one Eric Hunter and Twitter was what? Sorry, Eric Hunter two seven. Eric Hunter two seven. Okay, perfect, perfect. But listen, Eric, it's always my pleasure speaking with you, sir. You know that, my friend. Best of luck for the eleventh, and we'll certainly catch up sometime after. Okay. Okay, and this wraps up episode 146 of the Box Hard Podcast. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, Eric Hunter and Dave Allen. I'd like to apologize for the bad audio during Dave Allen's interview in particular. No idea what actually happened there, so I'm very, very, very sorry for that. There is one more piece of news to mention. Whilst we've been recording this show, Frank Warren has announced a brilliant, brilliant card set for October the 6th in Leicester Arena. Daniel Dubois, I believe, will be headlining against Kevin Kingpin Johnson. Archie Sharp takes on Leon Woodstock, a real 50-50 of two unbeaten prospects there. O'Hara Davies, he takes on Jack Catterall, a man that was on our show last week. A brilliant matchup there. Nicola Adams will also be fighting for a world title, it's believed and um, 
what a brilliant card that is. I'm really looking forward to that one. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on 49 points. I, as and you, the listeners, are both tied on 53 points. Your predictions this week are Kovalev by knockout, Bivol by knockout, and Alexander on points. That's exactly the same for Iaz's picks. And the only one that I disagree on is Bivol by points instead of knockout. Best of luck to everybody involved there. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Iaz Sumra has been Iaz Sumra. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Enjoy your weekends, people, and we shall see you all again next week.